The Most Unbelievable Things About Life Before Smartphones, an essay by Matt Ruby. That's me. I used to get lost all the time. I'd ask for directions, look for landmarks, fold maps, carry a guidebook, and keep an atlas in the glove compartment. I never knew when the next train was coming. I waited around a lot. I memorized phone numbers, jotted things down in notebooks, had conversations with taxi drivers, talked to random people at bars, wrote checks, went to the bank, and daydreamed. I was grossly inefficient and terribly bored. I rarely got what I wanted, and when I did, I had to wait at least eight to ten days for it to be delivered. I was not archived, nor was I searchable. Things I said just disappeared forever. I had no idea how many steps I'd walked or stairs I'd climbed. My desk's height did not adjust. I just sat in a chair and took it. I tolerated unstapled stomachs, breasts which subjugated themselves to gravity, and butts that were incapable of functioning as shelves. I had no influence and never disrupted anything. Strangers did not wish me a happy birthday or like me. My personal brand was invisible. I operated on hunches, browsed bookstores, and fearlessly entered restaurants on a whim with no knowledge at all of the party of eight who traveled all the way from Connecticut to dine there and who, despite their reservations for 8.45 p.m., were not seated until 9.30 p.m and then had to endure a server who was extremely rude, unprofessional, and, quote, tattooed up on his neck. I did not eat gummy bears, worms, or any other gummy species. I never charged my weed, microdosed, or took pills to help me focus. My life lacked motivational quotes, nutrition tips, and workout advice. My wellness ran dry. I did not take photos of myself, was not filtered, and had no idea what I looked like as a bunny rabbit, puppy, or unicorn. Aww, so cute. I had to buy film, load it in a camera, carry it around, find something worth shooting, get the film developed, and then pick up the prints. I only had 36 shots, so each one mattered. I was constantly forced to ask myself, do I actually want a photo of this? Also, my genitals went unphotographed. What? There was no surveillance of the streets, crimes occurred, and there was no footage to review. Planes crashed and we only saw the wreckage. There were no body cams and only spies could install hidden cameras. I trusted the nanny. We all did. It must have been a field day for nannies. I am kind but extremely firm. I was rejected to my face and broken up with in person. I was not polyamorous and, truth be told, was gleeful if just one woman agreed to be in a relationship with me. In order to go on a date, I had to approach a woman, talk to her, get her number, call her, talk to her again, and then ask her out. It was Kafkaesque. <laughs> Once plans were made, I showed up without any further contact to check whether we were, in fact, still on for tonight, running late, at the bar, in the back, or here. It's a miracle we ever found each other. News was not breaking and I was not alerted. Being elite was a good thing, and being a Nazi frowned upon. Nazis. I hate these guys. Scientists were trusted, and conspiracy theories were for tinfoil kooks. The only content users generated was letters to the editor. I consumed news once a day by reading a paper that stained my hands. I stumbled upon random articles I would never have selected based on the headline. The ads I saw were untargeted shotgun blasts. Quizzes were just for students, and I did not know which ice cream flavor matched my personality, 
who should play my BFF in a movie of my life or which Disney prince I should have a threesome with. Wow. I rarely got to feel outraged by the words of people I'd never met. For that, I had to rely on family. I made mixtapes and went to record stores. I put five discs in a CD changer and they were my soundtrack for months at a time. At concerts, musicians didn't use computers, singers missed notes, and drummers hit skins with sticks. Things went wrong and we meekly accepted these mistakes as part of our off-key lives. I read books with dog-eared pages, highlighted passages, and untrustworthy narrators. I'd read authors without knowing if they were allies or enemies. I lacked certitude. The only binging I did involved alcohol. I'd wait an entire week to watch the next episode. And I listened to whatever was on the radio, rarely watched documentaries, and knew very little about serial killers. My crime was not true, and my play was not auto. My speakers were big and my TV was small. Hardly anything was portable and my hardware was never updated. My elevator and taxi rides were devoid of television screens. I read cereal boxes while eating breakfast and shampoo bottles while sitting on the toilet. I never talked to my watch, my phone did not correct me, and acquaintances never asked me to finance their independent film or back surgery. My refrigerator and toaster were incapable of communicating with each other. The war was cold. Also, I was the default. No one called me toxic or problematic. Things weren't fluid and there was no spectrum. I assumed the police were telling the truth. I was unaware of how frequently powerful men would answer the door wearing nothing but a towel. There were a lot of questions I never had to ask. Complaining was frowned upon. I was told to walk it off. Therapy was for people with real problems, and things stayed unsurfaced. I didn't think about wage gaps, redlining, gerrymandering, or the intricacies of romantic encounters. There were a lot of questions I never had to answer. Were those the good old days? It's tough to say. We didn't rate things back then. Stars weren't doled out, and our feedback was not appreciated. Mostly, we sat in silence. We didn't have infinite scroll. We reached the end of the page, and then it was done. And now let's bring in producer extraordinaire Jeremiah McVeigh for some feedback slash pushback. So... I think that this one is very clearly kind of the sister to the essay from the first episode of this podcast, the one about us becoming overly efficient in a way. Mm. There's some overlap in the subject you're talking about. But I guess what's different here is that there's an ambivalence, I think, because there are things in here that I think are clearly good that are getting not, I don't want to say lumped in because I think, I don't think your purpose your or your intent is to say that they are necessarily bad. You asked the question at the end, even of like, is, are things better or whatever? Um, but yeah, things like, uh, I, I, I guess I start to think of it as like the personal versus the public mm. of the things that are about the way life was before iPhones and such for on a personal level, or it was maybe better in a lot of ways, but I think in the public domain, uh, where we know better how police behave and how powerful men behave, like those are 
improvements, it took our head out of the sand, so to speak. Would you agree? Yeah, I think uh, the first draft of it, I remember, was more veering towards this, weren't things better back then? Uh, like, at least seemed to be like an undercurrent. And as once I finished that draft, it did feel like there was something missing, which is why in I revised it somewhat uh, towards the end there. There's some, huh. But then there's also, like, this is how I feel about things. Are other people feeling the same way? Have things, you know, changed for the better on a lot of uh, levels? And shouldn't, shouldn't that be factored in? So it was something that dawned on me as this was originally being written that like, oh, there's probably some more nuance here as opposed to just, you know, one note. What I was trying to do is nail some middle ground between stuff that was good or even if it wasn't, uh, even if it wasn't like as effective or as efficient or as like uh, clean and, and quick as things are nowadays, was there something that we're missing that we don't always think about? Which is, is also for me, I think there's something about the age that I am, which has dawned on me in recent years of like, oh, there's the people older than me who just never really got the internet or technology and who are just sort of like living their lives the way they did before. And then there's the people younger than me, you know, who grew up with it all the time and surrounded by it and don't even remember what life was like before it. And I'm in that weird sort of hazy area of like, oh, like I got email in college. I didn't have a smartphone until I was like in my 30s. So I had this life experience of decades without this, you know, life-changing technology. And then after it too, being like fairly tapped into this stuff. And so I do think that like, okay, here's a perspective that, you know, I'm not alone, but there's people, it's a specific age range that I think can understand both sides of that coin. And so I think to me, it's sort of like, okay, well, let me let me kind of tell you about that, especially if you didn't live through it. And uh, I think there's people who've you know read this essay who are older and for them, it is almost nostalgic and something nice and like, oh yeah, I remember that. And they kind of, some sort of something about it, you know, resonates with them in one way. And then I think there's younger people who like have read it and it's like genuinely like kind of surprising. <laughs> it's sort of like, wait, what? Yeah. Like, how did you get around without Google Maps? Like right. what happened? It's like, well, we had this book in the car that yeah. had maps on it. Yeah. And then I, I think while some of those changes are for the better of like shining light on certain things that needed a light shined on them to help improve the world at large, I think I do think that there is still a bad edge to that of the surveillance state, which you also touch on at least briefly of we're always being watched. Every street is surveilled, I think is, is basically what you say. So like we're basically always on camera if we're not inside of our house. And a lot of us when we're in our house are even on camera in some fashion. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That. I mean, when Sully landed that plane on the Hudson and there was footage of it, that blew me away. Like from a mm. surveillance standpoint, I'm like, wait, there's just cameras pointed at the middle of the Hudson River all the time, just in case, like, uh, like, mm. Uh, like the um, these doorbell cameras. Everyone's like, oh yeah, it's for my home. It's like, you know who's wired into all those doorbell cameras is police departments. Police departments worked with Amazon and continue to work with Amazon to use them you know, all the time. You know, the same with, you know, Alexa and, you know, Google Home and Siri and all that. Like this, I, you know, or the amount of data we're like submitting to, you know, Mark Zuckerberg and the Chinese government is just sort of like, 
the cost of doing business in a way that, again, it's something we don't even think about. And especially if you never lived without it, like you said, I think there's obviously positive aspects to that, you know, but also like, are we, are we always weighing the negatives? Do we even see them? Do like whenever this new technology comes out and it takes us like a decade, at least to figure out all the ways it's like destroying our society. We don't even know at the time. Is there due diligence up front? Is there anyone in charge? I mean, I think about how like it was an entire culture based on that, motto of uh move fast and break things and it's like yeah you did it you you broke a lot of stuff you know and like are you putting it back together now are you helping like it's just sort of like we all swallow this ethos of like you know progress at all costs and break stuff and figure it out later and you know stop being such a downer with your worst case scenarios it's just like I don't know. I, I I read too much like science fiction and like (laughs) you know like I, I watched RoboCop and now when I see them bringing out these like robot police dogs, I'm like, this is like a scene from the movie. Like this is like, this doesn't end well. How do you not see that your progress also has a dark side? And I think uh, that keeps happening over and over to us. I just have one last question for you. The part about the family with the reservation at the restaurant <laughs> that uh, they get seated late and then they, I guess, are complaining that they're uh, rude server has tattoos up on his neck yes uh that seems too specific <laughs> was that an actual yelp review that you read at some point it is about a, a place you went to it's an actual yelp review because i'm i i find yelp reviews and new york times cooking reviews to be two of the most entertaining things <laughs> online uh yeah like i'm fascinated by yelp how how many places have either five stars or one star and when you look at the one stars, it's never about the actual food or anything. It's like they made me yeah. wait in line. Someone was rude to me. And a lot of times it is this dynamic of like, we showed up on Saturday night at 830 with a party of 25 people. And it took them eight minutes to seat us. It's like, yeah, you're the problem. Yeah, that's like when you see reviews of a national park, a beautiful national park like the Grand Canyon <laughs> or Yellowstone or something. And it happened to be closed on the day that they went. Yeah. So they give it one star or something like that. Like. What, what are you doing? Totally. But um, yeah, well, why don't we leave it there? Let's do it. And now for some quickies. America is what you'd get if a comb over could be a country. My childhood dentist never found anything wrong in my mouth. I think it's because he was a dentist in Vietnam. He had plaques about it all over his walls. So he never saw anything wrong in my mouth because he was like, look, you've still got all your limbs. You're fine. Sometimes I wipe down the groceries just for old times sake. You can subscribe to or follow this show just about anywhere you listen to podcasts. If you have a moment, please rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Good Pods, or anywhere else that allows you to do that. And when I say that, I mean, like, leave it a good review. I feel like that's obvious, but if, you, if you're just going to leave it a bad review, you, you don't have to. Anyway, it helps others find the show, which I really appreciate. 
Uh, if you want to reach out to me directly, you can email me at mattruby at hey.com. That's mattruby at hey.com. And if you like this podcast, you should subscribe to the Rubes Letter, where what you just heard first appeared. You can find that at mattrubycomedy.com slash subscribe. And while you're at mattrubycomedy.com, you can also find links to my Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, and TikTok, where I post clips of my stand-up and other stuff, too. Thanks so much for listening. I appreciate it. This podcast is produced by Stereoactive Media. Stereoactive Media.